And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic Gen 3 cars hit track promising Valencia Test Fest a success Amy Shunt rocks paddles great crisis ramps up and her host of top names share their Gen 3 experiences with the race plus put on your Christmas jumpers crack open the eggnog we take a little high trip down memory pit lane. Hello and welcome to the race's final Formula E podcast of 2022. My name is Andrew Vandenberg and Felice Navidad, straight from Valencia Tested, it's our Formula E correspondent Sam Smith. Sam was able to get plenty of sign bites from inside the paddock from key Gen 3 test and we'll be dropping them into this show like sixpences in a Christmas pudding. One for the boomers there. Sam, there was so much anticipation to see the full grid of Gen 3 cars in action. So what are they actually like? And is everyone ready for Mexico in what? It's only a few weeks' time now. Well, not quite, no. Um, certainly. <laughs> you do surprise me. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say ready. Um, it's more a case of who's the most prepared, I think, really. Th- this project was super late, but it needs a lot of context, I think. So- some of it was in the hands or is in the hands of the organisers and some very much isn't. Firstly, this Gen 3 project was conceived before the pandemic and during the pandemic, which spanned at least 18 months in terms of supply chains, issues with just getting parts and getting materials. And there was a whole load of disruption. And indeed, at one stage, if you remember, it looked like Gen 3 would be delayed until 2024. That hasn't happened, but it's meant that... The project has been um, has had to be coordinated at a pace which, in context of what they have with this incredible car or the potential for an incredible car, um, makes it very difficult. And it's been, particularly in the last six months, extremely difficult for the FIA and the suppliers. The, the disruption itself, I think, was significant, but there's also the fact that such a leap on in technology has really made this a tough one for for everyone concerned especially when you go from wholesale changes like uh, the the power increase the front power train setup the change from michelin's to hancock's and a whole host of other things it's um yeah it's a colossal project so not a surprise that it's it's late. It was always going to be a tough project to manage and get together in time. Let's not forget that Formula E wanted to start this season in December originally, and that was only overturned early in 2022. So it became clear last spring that they just it just wasn't feasible to begin the championship then. The cars themselves actually grew on me from a visual perspective, an aesthetic perspective in Valencia. Um I think from the look and feel oh, of that, them. That's interesting because they're, they're not growing on me from the pictures. Yeah, I, I think when you watched in particular the mock race they did on Wednesday afternoon, I think it was. Uh, sorry, no, Wednesday morning. They did a full 
event sim. And actually, when you get these things two abreast or in a pack, they look pretty good. That whole fighter jet feel of them actually comes out more when they're they're in close proximity to each other, I think. I mean, I think in terms of how they are on the track they do look quicker on the track unfortunately they don't go around the corners uh, particularly well some of that comes from the more draggy feel of the open wheeler and and some clearly comes from the uh the fact that the tires are open and uh, sorry the the tires are harder and tremendously durable these uh these handcooks are super hard but my feeling is that when a full grid of these is seen on particular circuits like rome diria monaco they'll look great um, but they are an acquired taste. We've always said that. But actually, I think if the racing's good enough and these things are racing in packs, which they will do, then I think they'll get away with it. But that doesn't change the fact that at certain angles, these things are these things are pretty uh, pretty ugly to say the least. So how has it got to where we are now? Obviously, there's been global supply problems across the board and all sorts of things, especially in the manufacture of cars. Oh, is it is it that, or is it just the fact that everything was being pushed to the eleven and a half hour? Um, I think I think the points previously made are the, the sort of bedrock of where Gen Three is coming from at this moment. But it seems that some poor, poor coordination has caused issues down the line. I think some of the processes uh, haven't been particularly good, um, and that has bubbled up to to what we saw in Valencia, which was at times quite chaotic in terms of the paddock feel, what was going on, the battery changes, uh, technical issues, cars stopping, red flags. Uh, I mean, you know, there's no need to point fingers here, particularly at this at this stage. Um, but as I said, colossally complex project to manage. But from the outside, it, it just looked messy, frankly. The, the paddock, as I said, it was kind of at times like a war zone. Spare batteries been ferried in and out on a conveyor belt to teams. Tubs were being built up in the paddock with team members looking like sort of zombies at the end of the 24 hours of Le Mans. It had that kind of feel to it. There's There's been a massive push to get these cars just into a state of readiness. And there were major fears before Valencia that um, it could have been a complete disaster. That was largely unfounded. And most of the teams, I think, got some, well, they did get some good running in. There were exceptions. Um, Neo didn't get as much as they, they should have done. Obviously, Jaguar will come on to, but they had some of their tests compromised. But going back to why it was so messy in particular, I, I think just simply the coordination and process is, is what I was hearing from uh, team principals um, and some of the people putting this thing together so obviously with the concept stages of gen 4 kicking in in early 2023 that's just around the corner it's going to be really interesting to see if things are changed in the processes of getting these programs in place because it's now been openly questioned by manufacturers and teams and at the end of the day this is one of six world championships in existence so it should be much better all around now, you say the sort of cars were growing on you, they look better in packs, but the tyres are a bit harder. Um, obviously, these are very early stages in their development. Are the drivers happy with them? Are they thinking we're going to have much better racing? And, and how much faster are they? Because on pure lap time comparison to Valencia, the difference was not that great at all, really, wasn't it? No, it wasn't. And, and I was quite surprised by that in one sense. And I had a lot of people um, challenging me on that. But when you have the CEO of the championship telling people it's going to be six to seven seconds quicker, which which Jamie Regal was doing. Um, it's, it's problematic when you get to a stage of a group test that 
the fastest time is only, I think it was eight tenths, seven or eight tenths quicker, uh, like for like. And it was exactly the same circuit, similar conditions to last year. And these, these, these cars just weren't as fast as I anticipated. And yes, the, a lot of that is to do with um, the tyres, which are much harder composition than the previous Michelins. Um, for the pace, that's that's a bad thing. I mean, you, in terms of the tyres, the that is a big contributing factor to it. But you can't blame Hancock for providing those tyres. And by the way, there was not a single issue with them as far as I saw, but they provided and delivered. They were always going to build a harder, more conservative tyre for the first go. Because the, the, it would be a terrible thing for the reputation if there were suddenly tyre issues. They were always going to build something that would guarantee to get to the end of the race in a raceable state, weren't they? Yeah, that's, that's true. That is true. I mean, there is a conservative element to these, but they they built them to the spec that the FIA wanted. Uh, it's an all-weather durable tyre uh, that has sustainability credentials. In an ideal world, we'd have slicks or semi-slicks. That's when the package would deliver that six to seven seconds which has been talked about before in terms of the driver's opinions of the car honestly they're pretty unimpressed for lots of reasons obviously the inherent lack of cornering pace is one but also the fact that the cars are now uh, more exposed meaning that on tight street tracks the the elimination of cars through slight contact will pretty much um, be the the reverse of what we saw in in gen 2 i've never understood why this is a complete open wheel car the gen 2 was successful people loved that style of it being sort of all-encompassing bodywork half prototype half single seater and obviously unless i'm missing something that is a more sustainable message isn't it because there's um there's less drag so surely i think it only exists in the mind of a few uh administrators what a single seater is if you ask the general public they wouldn't say oh it's got open wheels no no uh, uh, open wheeler sounds like a phrase that came from the 1930s when people were buying a a morgan or something you know it's it's irrelevant in today's uh, market i would say a monoposto (laughs) yeah quite i mean obviously the inherent lack of cornering pace is is one of the key factors and uh, yeah, I just think that the drivers won't publicly say it, but privately they're telling me and I'm sure others as well that, that they're not huge fans of this car. But let's see, you know, drivers have a funny habit, don't they, of changing their minds about the hardware when they're stood on the podium spraying champagne around. So let, let, let's oh, see. Once there's been a race and there's, like you say, there's a, there's a top three and people are looking towards a championship, all of that will go away. And if they race well, then and it makes for a, a, a good dramatic uh, tv production no one will care maybe maybe we'll see but there were lots of things that were going wrong at the weekend the reliability you know the halo was working intermittently um lots of issues this i mean most of the grid had issues there was very few teams ds and maserati um didn't seem to have that that many but uh when you ally that to the fact that they're just getting on top of these cars many of the team or several of the teams didn't have any shakedown of their cars so you know at least a day possibly day and a half was given over to just getting these cars uh, runnable and and so much to learn with the extra regen and and the front mgu no uh, no friction brakes at the back of the car i mean everything is just a complete reset but that doesn't excuse the fact that everything was so hand to mouth 
at Valencia. And, and like I said, for a world championship, it should be better than that. One of the things we'd heard a lot about from private testing was these issues that almost all of the teams had had with breaks and that resulting in quite significant shunts. Um, and the same happened here, but Buemi had a big one. Um, so talk us through what happened to him and what the reaction to that has been with inside the uh, Formula E community. Yeah, well, this this was the hot topic of the test. We knew it was going to be particularly fractious, I think, during the the three days of running, or three and a half days of running over in Valencia. Buemi's accident appears to, although not confirmed, that's important to mention, at this stage has been caused by um, something in the inverter, an inverter issue that effectively shut down his his car. Whatever happened, it sounds similar to other issues that have contributed to accidents earlier this year. But what is really tricky is that with these cars now, the the front ba- the front brakes are super cold because the cars are using the big hike in regeneration to for, for retardation into corners. So when the drivers go for the brakes in the event of a shutdown, there just isn't much there. Buemi's accident was relatively slow speed and he still wrecked the car. Imagine if it was doing double the speed and on a street circuit, you're not going to have a small shunt, are you? In fact, on Friday afternoon, Pascal Verlein's Porsche left the track at really high speed at turn seven. It was one of the last laps of the race, of the test, I think. But there was a big expanse of gravel which he ran through. One driver who was following him afterwards told me that Verlein left the track so quickly he thought, quote, uh, he was he was off to get his plane early. I mean, it was just flat out through the gravel. If there'd have been any kind of barrier there, that's another big shunt. I mean, much bigger than Buemi's. The FIA have told us that a system which it calls a secondary brake um, addition will be available for some time next year. Well, that that's great, but why will it take this long? And what has the reaction time been to all these accidents that have been happening where they know that drivers haven't been able to slow sufficiently um, before before the impacts or to get out of an impact? It just tosses up several problematic questions, mainly a team... Teams, are they comfortable taking the risk of drivers hammering hammering it around street circuits, knowing that these incidents could occur? And also, just the the, the perception of, of the championship now, if, if, if the worst happens and a, and a serious accident does occur because of these scenarios, well, where does that leave the championship? I mean, it would certainly open up a whole hornet's nest in terms of liability and all kinds of things. Some teams were brushing it off when I spoke to them in Valencia, effectively saying, well, it hasn't happened to us. Well, it hadn't happened to Envision or Porsche before last weekend, as far as I know. One got away with it, one didn't. Um, So it's kind of the look of the draw, where it happens and how it happens. There's just a sense of nervousness running through the paddock at the moment. Buemi was seething afterwards, and he's known to have had a lively conversation with officials uh, and others um, at Valencia. One thing that cannot be allowed to happen is to compromise the safety of the drivers and, and look, track, track workers also. I mean, people in the vicinity of these cars. In this instance, it's absolutely primary that safety is put first with this because these cars you know are quicker in a straight line and we've seen before with Edo Mortara in particular what a terrifying shunt looks like when he had it at Deere in 2021 and actually in the paddock I just got his opinion on this topic last week. Safety is always uh, for me the number one priority and we should never really compromise let's say 
um, technical solutions in order to to be more or less safe. Um, I believe that if they came up with that solution, I think that it's because it was needed. Um, you had some pretty big incidents during the testing, and this is something that you don't want to see um, next season. Um, I believe um, that it's a good solution. Um, makes me feel actually in a way like safer as you said I did suffer like two major crashes one because I didn't have any brakes in Riyadh and I can tell you it was not a nice a nice situation I don't I don't want to leave it uh, again so what are the next steps Sam where do they go from here well it's a bit unclear actually but the, the, I mean the time has passed for a proper solution above and beyond the system that the FIA are aiming to bring in as the season progresses. There was some talk of putting on rear calipers purely for an emergency stop scenario with these cars, some sort of bolt-on bracket which uses uh, existing features of the Gen 3 upright potentially could work as a stopgap solution for Mexico. But, you know, the cars have left now. They, they've gone. They're, they're, they're on the way to Circuit Hermanos Rodriguez. So... This is just super late. We're, we're talking. We're talking the matter of just three weeks to the first race. The FIA is in discussions with manufacturers and teams, and there is a genuine spirit of cooperation to get this sorted out. But again, speaking to the drivers, they just say that as a key safety issue, this has just been too little, too late. And um, again, I think a lot of people are, are wanting answers, but they're, they're for sure that if there's no practical solution for mexico there will be a real cloud of um jeopardy and risk that people will be keeping an eye on and whether that affects how the teams go about their business i don't know you know we, we'll have to see wait and see on that but it's not ideal and when it comes to safety and it's not as if this has been a bohemian shunt was one of you know it just happened there's been five accidents that we know of and i'm sure possibly there will have been others and as well as Verline's incident and his episode Nick Cassidy had a similar one at slower speed and got away with it by running through the gravel um, in Valencia so yeah big big concern uh, and hopefully there can be a an adequate solution as we go go racing the other reliability concern was about the battery um, obviously that's a, a another new switch reverting from McLaren back to Williams. Uh, how did that? How did they get on in uh, Valencia? Well, generally not as bad as feared. I think prior to the test, there was a lot of uh, sort of doomsday merchants out there thinking it was going to be extremely difficult. But I think if you asked DS or Maserati, they were they were pretty happy because they had very well. As far as I know, they didn't have any real serious issues with the battery. But th- then again, if you asked uh, some other teams, Neo I mentioned and Envision had some some issues too. Then you know they they would wouldn't be as generous. I think there were problems for sure, but on a scale that wasn't anticipated. That obviously we've covered in quite a lot of detail the fact that they had these issues with the cells these pouch cells in the batteries in the units which had to be changed around about february of last year and then there was another issue with the cells leaking because of vibrations and oscillations which the fia and and williams uh, got a solution for um but whether or not it's a solution, a long-term solution over the course of a season we're going to find out um i think certainly there are going to be 
issues uh, reliability issues it's just hoped that they aren't on a scale or uh, in races that uh, undermine the um, performance and work of the drivers and teams i remember going into race one in beijing and doing all of the you know potential calamity planning and what if no cars finish the race and whatever and eventually i think there were 15 14 or 15 cars that finished and it was and it was fine so what what are we talking for mexico is is it likely that it'll just be the same and there'll be one or two retirements or are we in danger of not having a full complement of point scorers getting across the line yeah it's it's hard to say isn't it i mean valencia isn't a particularly physical challenge for the cars um it's a motor gp track so shallow curbs uh big expanse of runoffs and quite a smooth surface the the track at mexico is pretty abrasive um and the drivers clatter the curbs a bit more so it'll be a good test but the last thing you want to be doing is testing things out in a in a racing format um if i was a betting man and as you know i'm absolutely not um i think we're looking at like you said you'd hope that 14 or 15 cars would would finish that race in the mock event at valencia last week i think 15 took the checkered flag but a few of those were walking wounded and and had lost laps in the pits and so forth reliability still a big concern you just hope that it's not significant enough to affect races and and, and the championship stakes really i see it more as the best prepared teams really coming to the fore but but there will be the odd instance i think where the races are ruined by problems. I'm not necessarily saying there'll be battery issues. What you've got to remember is that we've got five different manufacturer powertrains and how they harmonise with the battery and other elements uh, and components around the car is, is very different. And I just think over the course of a season, the hope is that if there are issues, they kind of even out across the field and we don't end up with a, uh, a walkover by one of the manufacturers. But as i said i think we'll come on to it ds the ds powered quartet of van dorn Verne, mortara and max gunter looked super strong and they had as far as i know very if they did have issues they were they were super slight so um they they certainly looked pretty strong yeah that's going to be an enormous benefit for them and with the way that the calendar works there's so many races up front in the season that even a small reliability advantage like that could very much magnified of course the other um big difference with the with the new way the cars are working is how much the drivers are able to regen and exploit that um extra potential how's that been received yeah it's really it's one of the interesting points of this new era of formula e actually drivers are having to adapt their innate driving styles in the gen 3 cars just to get the most out of the hankook tires these these hard tires and and most crucially to master the new braking and regen mechanisms around the front powertrain in order to you know to get full rotation and set up their cars for entry and 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 get into the apex of the corner the 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 feeling is is that it's super different and the torque as well is having a real um a real change is adding a real change to how the drivers are driving these cars and obviously that goes from driver style to driver style because they're all very different i mean you don't get more two more different drivers than someone like uh for instance robin freintz and um you know somebody like andre lotter of extremely different ways of going about their business lucas degrassi agreed with um most of that when i spoke to him and and he was really interesting because he's a super experienced driver he's driven 
some of the biggest spaceships out there in the LMP1 hybrid era. And he was a test driver for Pirelli in F1 for a couple of years. And he's got a bank of knowledge, which I think actually will be a huge benefit for he and Mahindra because relating to those times when he was working with these similar systems, not the same, but similar systems, and developing tyres as well is going to be a huge uh, or a big advantage for him. I think going out on the track actually with Oliver Turvey um, for an hour on Friday, you you could see the different styles of driving. Um, you know, Mitch Evans was super super smooth from what I saw and was flowing and and had the thing um, very well positioned. And then Dan Tictum came along and you know looked like a, a latter day Ronnie Peterson. He was sort of super <laughs> aggressive, uh, super aggressive. Obviously, he you know th- there's a big discrepancy in in fashion status with Ronnie Peterson and Dan Tictum, but you know each have their own attributes. But I just thought that seeing how the drivers attack the corners was really interesting. And I think it's going to suit some drivers more than others. Uh, Sam Bird actually told me at the Jaguar launch a couple of weeks ago that he feels more suited to the way that he's uh, hitting the brake pedal. So I think it it will benefit some of the more experienced drivers. You know, to to give you more of an overview, I spoke to Avalanche Andretti's Andre Lottera, who has developed as has Degrassi, so many cars and adapted his style in so many disciplines. This is what he had to say. Um, yeah, the, the brakes are <clears throat> actually um, feeling good in a way because you're uh, taking away the element of the brake disc um, set that sometimes... You know, in the lottery, you would get a good set and a bad set and they have different mu um, characteristics. And now, because um, almost all the braking performance comes from the region at the front and the rear, so um, you don't have to heat up anything, you know. If anything, uh, you might uh, have derating if you push too much uh, because the, the motors cannot take it anymore but we haven't faced that uh, uh, yet here um, we, and I don't think it will be an issue at, at, at the street tracks but um, the other part is going back to the comments on the tires uh, they have completely different characteristics and they don't like combined uh, forces so the stability is, is, is quite difficult to control, uh, especially here in Valencia with all these um, long corners, which was always an issue for, for Formula E cars here because we run on low downforce and all-weather tires, so it's not really... Um, the Formula E cars are not really made for that. They're more feeling comfortable or feeling better in street tracks with uh, sharper 90 degree or helping corners so yeah the combined is uh, is difficult so we need to to change the driving style a little bit attacking the corners so as you mentioned a little bit earlier on they ran a mock race on the wednesday there um obviously a few of them had reliability problems and got to the end but was it actually a full race distance that they did uh well (laughs) officially yes um but in reality it was short um i think everyone was probably agreed on that um it, it was primarily held to test the fia's processes and protocols but 
Obviously, it was also a chance to see how these cars perform over a, a nominal race distance. Don't forget that the 45 minutes plus one lap has been um, superseded by a traditional lap race. But some sums have to be done, of course, to find the optimum or the, the what what should be a Formula E race distance. So it seemed to be undercooked by a few laps, uh, possibly three which meant it became a flat-out race because there was no particular uh, energy management concerns. Well, hallelujah, if that's the way we're going, right? What, in terms of the racing? <laughs> yeah. Well, not quite. In fact, it's a bit counterintuitive because you think, oh, it's going to be flat out and everyone... But, of course, these things are even... Even like Gen 2, they're so close, even now when they're still developing, that it just becomes a stalemate. Uh, so yeah. you don't get effective overtaking. You don't get any change in the order. I mean... I think Rene Rast and Jake Hughes led the vast majority of that race and it was a random grid. It was whoever got to the pit lane first actually <laughs> that started the race under safety car. So you need, you know, you need some jeopardy. You need a distance covered that actually relates to um, some energy management and how, how the regen and how the, uh, the lifting and coasting and how the strategy plays out. And it, it didn't really happen. And Jake Hughes won it at a canter um, without much change in the order. So um, I spoke to Stoffel Vandorn, who found it all a bit of a, a disappointment. Um, and he told me the following. Well, they, they have to get the laps right. Um, it's true that the race we did here was... Uh was too short I think they could have done two three more laps probably and then we would have had an actually a kind of normal amount of saving uh, around this track and uh, you know unfortunately the, the test race they did um, maybe it was intentional or not I d I'm not sure but it became kind of flat out after after you know six seven laps or something and and then yeah then it's pretty much impossible to to make any overtakes so um, it's a matter of yeah getting getting the laps right and then getting all the, the regulations with the added laps around safety car for course yellow uh, that needs to be I think defined properly so so that the races never become flat out of course it's always difficult to gauge the competitive order at Valencia uh, for a host of reasons one it's not anything like the sort of track that they'll be racing at um, in terms of the track surfacing and curbs Obviously, who knows exactly what programs the teams are working on when they've got so many problems. But can we take anything away from that performance, Sam? Um, well, there are certain things which were staring you in the face. As I said, DS looks strong um, in every department. Maserati, similar. Max Gunter's a bit of a Valencia specialist. He always uh, hooks up a really good lap in Valencia and did do when he was with BMW Andretti. Um, the, the the problem with it, though, as you say, is that translating that to somewhere a little bit more difficult to actually get things together with the um, the variables of the track surface and the idiosyncrasies of racing in Mexico City, and then we go to Diria, which is even you know there's even more things there to to look out for. If you were taking Valencia in isolation in the initial development of the Gen Three car on who did a good job, didn't have many issues, got some really good data um, and had pace. Uh, DS and Maserati certainly were were up there. The big surprise for me and I think many others was Nissan and the customer Nissan team, Neon McLaren, who looked good throughout as well and, and didn't have 
many issues. They were super happy, um, I think, both those teams with the pace that they showed. Mahindra had flashes, so Oliver Rowland was particularly quick on the last day, I think. And um, again, just everything is close. I mean, that they. I think there's a lot to say that Gen 3, certainly the first season, won't be like it was. You remember season two when Buemi and Renault just ran and hid, didn't they, for the first four races or whatever? Oh, yeah. Those days are over. You know, the championship is at a level now, strength in depth, where... It, you know, you're not talking about one one point five seconds. You're talking two or three tenths between most of them. Um, Neo had a disappointing test. I expected more from them. Um, they sort of had dark horse connotations heading into this test. Well, we'd big them up, hadn't we, in the Sete Camera pod a few weeks. Well, there ago. you go. That, we cursed them, didn't we? So yeah, obviously, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> um, no, they, they they suffered with some poor reliability, uh, particularly with with battery issues. And lost a heap of um, a heap of running, particularly Sete Camera. Difficult to gauge them. Jaguar, you know, again had a disrupted test to some extent, but you know did show flashes of of pace. Uh, Porsche was the uh, disappointment, but I expected a bit more from Porsche. But as I say, just way too early to tell. And I think it's only going to be Mexico probably maybe not even until the end of the race where we genuinely know what's going on and then i think the championship and the protagonist will will start to chop and change and we'll see others coming through from the end of that race uh, right through to sao paulo so there's kind of the first tranche of the series of the championship is the first six races which is right until the end of march you've got these super quick quick fire events going on and if you can keep it reliable and you can keep the points flowing and get those top fives and the occasional win, you, you, it, nothing much is going to change from last season when, when Stoffel van Dorn did his, uh, his Keke Rosberg tribute act. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep. You heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Because I'm far too long in a tooth to uh, read anything into testing times these days. What I was enjoying, though, was seeing the different looks and liveries of the car. But more importantly, the enormous merry-go-round of new drivers driving for new teams and previous drivers coming back into the series who hadn't been there before. It was all very um, nicely disturbing to see them in the in different outfits and all of that. So uh, how did you find these people getting on in their new roles? Well, I genuinely went down to the Porsche pit and was looking for Lotterer 
and then forgot <laughs> that he's yeah, it's the equivalent of was it was it Jensen Button who got into the wrong pit once? It was like it was like that. Um yeah, yeah. And then I went to who did I go to as well? I went to find Gunter at Nissan at one stage and then realised he wasn't there. So <laughs> it was it was one of those. Yeah, I mean Jaguar were the only team to keep both drivers. Uh that's amazing, isn't it? You remember yeah. how solid the driver line and with the exception of um Aguri and Andretti in those first couple of seasons, hardly anyone moved. That's right. See, seeing the drivers in their um, in their new overalls was something, especially uh, Lucas Degrassi, who sort of looked like a Harlequin in his um, rather <laughs> rather ludicrous Mahindra overalls. But um, I, you know, I think Fenestras and Nato did some really good stints. I mean, they 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 really put some good miles in and, and did some did some good things with Nissan. But actually, it was the Neon McLaren team, the customer. Nissan outfit that that stood out for me. They had done, I think they'd done an hour or two around Bista Heritage a few days before, uh, assembling their cars and getting them onto the track. And yes, it's the same team. Ninety percent of the team is is Mercedes or as was last year. So different colours, but they've got two new drivers also. So. Rene Rast and Jake Hughes. Ironically, it started in the worst possible way. They 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 were in collision with each other, which nobody saw because it was kind of behind closed doors at a shakedown session on the Monday afternoon. And they they had some contact while avoiding another uh, errant car, is what I heard in that session. Oh. But the the the, the comet the, the damage was cosmetic, so it was um, it was all forgotten very quickly. They, they both had really strong tests, especially considering that they had. Uh, that briefest of shakedowns that I mentioned, Hughes hit the ground running and, and and crossed the line first in the mock race. But you know he was there or thereabouts in the in the top three or five for for majority of the test. Rast bedded in really well too, and I think he was just he was getting quicker and quicker and and putting the consistency together all the time. So I think he's going to be a royal force this season too. Rene's got some points to prove after that season and a half with Audi when a few big results did escape him. He was on the cusp of getting some really big, big points there. And, and as he told me, he's he's well up for the challenge ahead this season with Neil McLaren. It's a, it's a big different, uh, difference, obviously, coming from Audi. Being with Audi more for more than 10 years and going to a man, new manufacturer is, is a bigger challenge than I initially thought it is. Um, because, you know, Just, just, just get to know everybody, uh, the people, the names, uh, their their positions, how they work, um, the workflow. Um, everything is different. Even the data system on the laptop is different. Yeah, and um, so it, it's not it's not easy. But uh, you know, we we spent now already a couple of days together, um, lots of days in the sim. Uh, we had one day uh, testing already, and now here, um, this is the third day today. So we spent already kind of more than 10, 15 days together and we, we get to know each other, um, but still um, still not knowing everybody's names and, you know, it's, it's still not easy. It's not not straightforward, but it's, you know, um, driving for McLaren is, a, is, is a, I think, a huge privilege for, for any racing driver with um, a, a brand with such, uh, such a history. And as well, the, the team, I mean, uh, obviously um, McLaren took over the, the old Mercedes team. So... Those uh, those guys over there, they have so much experience in winning championships, and uh, it's also a big pleasure working with them. 
It wasn't just the drivers that were, were in new colours there, Sam. A couple of new team principals as well. Uh, one's friend of the show, James Ross, too, who's got a, a new job at Maserati. There's a little bit more of a controversial appointment, and that's with former FIA uh, head honcho Frederick Breton, who's now uh, replaced Dilbag Gill at Mahindra. Sam, um, you had a chance to, to sit down with him and uh, yeah, put him through some paces. So, as you said, new chapter for sure. And I would say uh, a chapter which is, is really starting uh, very fastly because I think uh, after one day to be uh, already attending a test is, is something special. <clears throat> but on the other side, it's a chapter I was quite ready for. Uh, it was a good idea for me to move back to racing side instead of organization. Many years of organization is good, but racing is also good. So I'm looking for that adrenaline. And uh, for the moment, I, I really get the maximum already. Uh, and I hope I will like, get more with, with, with better moments in, in racing. But for sure, you, you get the full adrenaline of uh, running a, a bunch of guys who are really looking for uh, getting more energy, getting something new in terms of ambition. And, and it's really the first step for me to bring back that to the team. It was uh, something very well established by Dilbag before. And uh, I, I tend to say that uh, more or less Dilbag, he reached the Mont Blanc level and I would like to reach the Everest level. So that's, that's the, the target. Uh, and then to capitalize on what has been done, improve what can be do, what can be improved. And then uh, on, the, on the last part is uh, bring back that additional thing which makes that uh, from good results we go to podiums Hopefully in a, in, a, in a few, probably few seasons. To be honest, I don't think that we will uh, we will get there soon uh, or instantly. But the target is clearly to to, to go there, and for this, it's uh, time, work, building uh, the spirit, building up the ambition, and and from there, I think we can really have a, a very nice and, and and funny journey. Okay, well, let's uh, go back and have a bit of a look at what's been going on on the DS side of things. And uh, in particular, you caught up with reigning champion Stoffel van Dorn. Did he have that sort of champion's air of confidence about him? Quietly so, yes. I think it's been a really strong start from him and DS Penske. I mean, they've minimised the, the blending of those two entities, somewhat unlikely two entities. But actually, you, you couldn't really tell the difference. There were the same, very similar faces with the addition as, of, of Nicholas Modui and a, and a couple of mechanics from the former Dragon Penske entity. So I think along with Maserati, they seem to be the, the, the most sorted uh, in Valencia and the ones who could actually knuckle down and really do some proper performance testing. Uh, I, I caught up with Stoffel and as he explained to us, he and the team are in a really good place at the moment. Had a strong test, but it's very much, I would say, cautious optimism right now from Stoffel. To be honest, um, you know, from just looking at, at our garage, we've actually had a, a very smooth test. Um, you know, we've never really been stuck in a garage with, uh, with any problems, which has been, you know, which has been, has been really good. And we've, yeah, we've been able to run through a testing program so far, which um, which has really brought us a lot in terms of information about this car, we're finally starting to you know explore li a little bit of setup. Um, so it's all kind of banking that information now to you know before we start the season, and uh, um, it's positive as well that you know we're we're at the front. Basically, every time we hit the track, we we look you know fairly competitive. 
but um, it's it's still early days. But um, yeah, for sure, for sure, it's it's better you know to be at the front end, let's say, than uh, than already starting a little bit behind and having to catch up. So um, yeah, I'm I'm pleased with the with the work we've been doing. So we've got this really intriguing matchup of these manufacturers and their customer teams. That's probably sort of underplaying their their status, isn't it? A little bit, Sam, in season nine. How do you see that playing out? Yeah, I, th- I think all four of the pair ups in terms of manufacturers and teams is really interesting. We've we've got Jaguars playing Envision, Porsche supplying Andretti, Nissan feeding McLaren, Mahindra. Um, doing the same for Apt and DS and their Stellantis siblings, Maserati. So the dynamics between them all pretty fascinating. I think you can sort of sense that most of them have taken on board that kind of Mercedes Venturi model, which was so lucrative and, and successful from a sporting point of view last season. So when I asked uh, new Porsche driver Antonio Felix de Costa about it last week, this is what he had to say. Look, um, I think I think if uh, if we were the only ones to have a sister team, then potentially it would be less important. Uh, but everyone, apart from Neo, is having a sister team. Every manufacturer has a sister team. So if everyone does a better job than us at working together with their sister team, at least now in testing and development phase, they will get an edge. So I've been pushing. Porsche a lot to make sure that we are in communication. We're lucky to be next door by championship regulations with with Andretti. So we need to keep this dialogue open. Andre knows this team very well. He's a Porsche driver in, in, at core. So we we have all the tools that we that we need to make that communication channel easy or easier. And and at this stage, you know, we've got a lot of capable drivers and engineers on on the Andretti garage, and we need to make sure that we all work together to make this development phase a lot quicker. So that that for me is an important bit. I have pushing I have been pushing these guys a lot in that in that side of things. So let's see. But I, I know other other houses are are working equally good or better. So we need to it's something we need to keep on pushing. So you mentioned earlier that you managed to uh, get out of the press room and have a little wander around the track. It's actually quite a good track for doing that, isn't it? And uh, you were there with Oliver Turvey, who's got a, a new job as well. Now he's the, the reserve driver for DS uh, Penske, which is good to see him uh, you know, keeping his, his toe in in the Formula E paddock. What did you learn from that experience? Yeah, it was good, actually. Um, Oliver had, had, uh, had shaken down the two race cars which were in action through Van Dorn and, and Vern at that test so he was the right person to, to head out on on track with which was nice don't often get an airing outside the press room so it was good to go out for a little bit um what what did we see so the cars are visually more nimble uh, you can see that they're lighter they change direction um, a lot more efficiently than their predecessors. Uh, squeaking tyres or squealing tyres are back. Oh. Um, that was very audible um, as as they hammered the the handcuffs, these super hard handcuffs. So um, trying to get them into the to the right window and understand a bit was more there, about them. Sorry, was there was there any audible difference between the cars? Yeah, or are they all complete much or much? Good, now? good question. I mean, as you know, I'm generally after after 20 odd years in this business pretty deaf anyway so i'm not i suspect it's just one constant ringing in your ears isn't it (laughs) pretty much pretty much no that's why i do formula e so i can soothe the years of uh v10s and v12s and stuff but 
the, yeah, there, there were some subtle differences. I think from what I could hear, Jaguar appeared to have a different um, resonance, if you want to call it that. Um, but, I mean, not super noticeable. I'm sure there are um, aural specialists out there who will, you know, decipher these um, these noises. But to me, I mean, I don't mind the, the noise that Formula E cars make you know we we've got a sting at the top of the show haven't we where this wheel spinning off and it sounds great yeah one thing one thing which we will see because of the talk of these cars is off the grid it will be you know it'll be like a, a prince concert in the mid 80s all smoke and hairspray <laughs> you know these things are going to be great big rooster tails of smoke coming off these cars because you cannot damage these tires they're indestructible um, right they just take as much punishment as you throw at them. So smashing out um, of the, their grid slots will be a great, you know, a bit of great visual representation of these these cars, and it will be spectacular. That will be part of Gen 3. Um, in terms of pace and who was hooked up, I mentioned the Jaguar looked quite, quite good, actually, um, but they didn't do any headline, uh, you would say headline lap times. DS looked assured, stable, looked much more visually more sorted than the rest. Mahindra's and Nissan's, from what I saw, looked a bit of a handful um, and had to be uh, ragged a little bit around around the Valencia track. I mean, Roland and um, Fenestras in particular were quite good fun watching them, um, kicking the back out, um, getting the power down out of the chicane. Although we didn't go to the chicane, but you could see it from the media centre. You could see them sliding out of there. So I think the slow speed stuff, getting the power down is going to be really, really interesting. And it should become a quite a good um, sort of crowd-pleasing element of, of Gen 3. Tixon was great entertainment. As I said, he was really slinging it around. Um, and, yeah, that, that that was about it. We, um, we saw a good sort of 45 minutes of action, and it just became noticeable. The more you watch them, the more the, the DSs seemed um, much more sorted than the rest of the field. I think there's a slightly ominous tone of that. But having said earlier that I don't read anything into testing, I'm going to uh, remain neutral until uh, we've had at least qualifying uh, in Mexico. But of course, as fans of the show will know, we we couldn't get to the last episode of the season without having another one of your calendar updates, Sam. So, and I'm very excited about this, we're going to Portland in June. Yeah, who'd have forecast that, huh? Um... Well, the, I mean, the key thing is that Formula E has got a race in the US. I mean, it has to. It just couldn't afford not to have one on any given calendar. And um, Portland it is, which was a, a major surprise. We knew that they'd been talking to Toronto, and I think uh, some stage Houston was mentioned, and other areas of the US are being looked at for... A, and the former IndyCar venues. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's great. I've never been to Portland myself. Um, I, no, I've heard that. it's... I've heard it's a lovely uh, city. It's quite progressive. Um, the track, obviously, is quite short, so is ideal for Formula E. What will happen, and I spoke to Alberto Longo, the uh, co-founder and um, deputy CEO of the championship, he said that there will be a significant amount of building on top of what is there permanently. So expect um, expect some sectors that feature walls and track modifications and tweaks to the existing layout there which should be fun um so yeah really looking forward to that 24th of june um which comes between the jakarta race and the and the rome race so it'll be a really critical 
time of the championship. And as I said, whether this is a stopgap race or not, I, I don't know. You know, they. I think if it's if the race is a success, that it will be or could become a permanent fixture. But the word is that Formula E is looking at a host of other possible more permanent venues in the future and um yeah i think i i wouldn't be surprised if they go to the west coast i wouldn't be surprised if they they hit miami at some stage and take advantage of this huge boom that's going on in motorsport mainly mainly because of uh formula one and, and everything that comes with that and is there anyone going to be offered a one-off guest drive to mark blundell <laughs> yeah mark, mark should be the case uh, too late <laughs> mark, mark mark and deferron should be the uh uh, what do they call them? Um, Marshall Grand Marshals, yeah. 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 yeah, yeah, yeah. It'd be good to yeah. see Mark. Actually, I've seen Mark at Formula E race because when Mike Conway he manages Mike Conway, oh, doesn't Conway he? was there. Yeah, yeah. Of shout out yeah. to Mark. And Deferron occasionally turns up as well because he's uh, obviously works with Alejandro on uh, Extreme E. So you never know. Maybe get them to recreate that. Oh, uh, <laughs> would be good. Electric buggies oh, or something. Great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but we couldn't leave this podcast on the 386th instalment of Sam's uh, updates this year. So we're going to do something a little bit different. Given that we've been effectively a- around the uh, sustainably stores coal face of Formula E for a thick end of a decade. Is it really that long? Oh, it can't be that Almost, long. Almost, yeah. Um, well, we, we, we're going to do some sort of top three memories of the sort of untold stories of things that have happened uh, that maybe you haven't heard about. So... Uh, should we call it Sniffer and V to B's Tales of the Unexpected? Oh, if, jo- if John theme tune, Johnny. I was going to say, if Johnny can't <laughs> find the theme tune, we should do it. <laughs> right, so we've got three categories uh, most random person we've met at a race, most memorable plot line that we've worked on. And the third, which has has the danger to get us into some trouble, but hopefully the past and the time will have uh, eased concerns. The most shambolic scenario that wasn't necessarily written about at the time, but we can say it now because uh, any legal disclaimers may now no longer apply. So we'll, we'll do each one in um, isolation. So I'll go first with my most random person, which is very, very fitting um, given we're recording this a uh, uh, couple of days after the World Cup final, Argentina uh, claiming the World Cup for the first time since 1986, which any real football fans will know that the Argentina coach at that time was a guy called Carlos Bellardo. And so I was in the media centre in the first Buenos Aires race in season one, and they was like, ah, Andrew, 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 we got this guy that you um, that we need you to interview. It's like, oh, great, yeah, he's a really famous guy over here. Really, it'd be really important to we get something out. So, like, oh, great. So I go over to see uh, Carlos. So he's introduced him, and I vaguely recognise the name, and then of course I work out who exactly he is. So I was like, this is still cool, you know, hand of God and all of that. Um, turns out he doesn't speak a word of English, but um, so we managed to get a. Uh, uh, an interpreter to come along. So oh, I'll give him a little butter up question. So, what do you think of the concept of uh, electric car racing? And his reply was, "These cars are electric." <laughs> <laughs> <So>. <laughs> it's safe to say that the uh, contents of that interview uh, were never published. <laughs> I think there were two or three more awkward questions. He had much it. more knowledge of uh, Terry Fennick and Peter Reid than he did of um, electric uh, car racing. Yeah. Honestly, I should have asked him about that. It's like, would you have maybe expected uh, Peter Reid to sprint a bit faster or, you know, no, 
And how, how did five foot six Diego Maradona manage to outjump Peter Shilton? But anyway, let's uh, not get. And the other one I want to give a special mention to because he's one of the most random, but also one of the coolest people I've ever met. And that was in the previous race, uh, which was in um, Punta del Este in uh, Uruguay, where I was introduced uh, to uh, Nando Parado. And if anyone doesn't know who that is, you may well know the story. And uh, there was a Hollywood film made in the early 90s with Ethan Hawke called Alive, which is a story of a Uruguayan rugby team that crashed in the Andes. Uh, and they were forced to uh, adopt some cannibalism before Nando and a couple of, who was the captain of the team and a couple of the others actually walked over the Andes and down into the valley and found um, some civilization and managed to rescue a load of the people on the plane. It's an unbelievable story, which I would recommend anyone. There's a book on it as well to, to check out. And he was a, a fascinating character, a big motorsport fan, a big friend of Jackie Stewart, um, and spoke perfectly good English. So that was that was an interview that was publishable. But uh, yeah, great Amazing. opportunity to meet him, yeah. Yeah, well, I feel yeah, I feel like I've uh, the thunder's been stolen. I I've got two actually. I've gone for two as well. Um, Vicky McClure, who played um, Lol in the brilliant This Is England, but more yeah. more famously known as uh, DCI Kate Fleming in Line of Duty, was at the Paris Epre in 2017. I think really, it was. <laughs> yeah, very randomly, she was at an event that I attended. I think I was the only person who recognised who she was because I think it was just pre Line of Duty, perhaps. So yeah. um, she was an absolute delight, and I think there um, it was there as a guest of Jaguar, I think, or some Jaguar sponsor. So I was a big fan. Um, obviously, handled myself in a very embarrassing manner as a fanboy, uh, but did introduce myself to her and, and had a chat, and she was terrific. That the second one was at the first Monaco Epre in 2015, and this redefines the scope of random. <laughs> In all areas. I was in a bar, I think the one next to the media room. What was it called? Oh, I know this story. <laughs> okay. What's it called? Stars, uh, and, stars and Bars. Stars yeah. and Bars, Stars and Cars, whatever it's called. I yeah. was there having a quiet bit. I saw this guy and I just got chatting to him. I did. I had no idea who he was. I don't make a habit of chatting to guys randomly in bars, by the way. But turns out it was Costas Loss. Greece's premier racing driver and hero of uh, many C2 class um, races at Le Mans and elsewhere in the 1980s. A lovely guy. And in fact, I stayed in touch with him, went for lunch with him in London a few years after that. Um, no way. I didn't yeah. know the follow-up. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lovely fella. And um, he had some amazing stories to tell about you know, Group C racing in the in the 80s and, and a real character. Um, so that was, yeah, extremely random, but but a very pleasant memory. <laughs> I could drop in my going for lunch with Hector back in uh, Mexico City, but that wasn't random because oh. I'd, I'd completely planned that. But that, that was that's, a, cool. that's an episode all of its own for the Oh, uh, sure. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That was, um, so the memorable plot line, well, I, I've got three on here, but I'm only going to talk about one of them in depth. Um, in, the, in the first few seasons, we were always trying to get publicity in whatever way we could and a whole host of uh, Hollywood a, B, and C listers were invited, and people like uh, Chris Hemsworth have, have driven the car, and uh, and Kylie Minogue's turned up, and Adrian Brody, and Leonardo DiCaprio. But there was always this story going around that, that Bradley Cooper would be at the next race. Bradley Cooper's coming to the next race. And of course, Bradley Cooper's still not been to a race. But <laughs> Who's that? Uh, John John's lad. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> No, he's the, he's the lot from uh, the Wiltshire that re resurrected, made some Formula Ford chassis with the same name. 
Um, the other one is what, because of course I, I arrived in Formula E about nine months before it started, and there were all sorts of amazing things that were being discussed then. Um, and there was a time when there was going to be old Le Mans style running starts to the cars onto the grid. And this was, this was, this very seriously discussed. Um, but fortunately, uh, that didn't happen before anyone was run over. If you, if you went to the, uh, the dummy race in Donington, you, the, the, the potential for carnage would have been huge. But the one I'm going to talk about properly was the monkeys in the zoo in the middle of Battersea Park. Oh, yes. Uh, oh, who, yes. In, in order to ensure that they uh, had as little distress as possible, every 40 or 50 minutes, the sound of Formula E cars was played into their cage um, in order to get them used to the, the noise of what would, uh, what would take place, which I thought was a great little story. So um, we did, I don't know if you were invited this time, we did this, uh, it was really cool, we did a uh, moving press conference where we hired a load of electric bikes and Alejandro had a, uh, um, a mic and everyone had an earpiece and we talked about the tracks we went around. Well, I was down there, so I thought, I'll go and see the zoo guy um, and uh, see if I can interview, interview him and do a little piece about the uh, conditioning of the monkeys. And uh, Johnny, you might need to get the, the bleep ready for this bit. And I go down and it's like, oh, hello. It's like, oh, yeah, I'm from Formula E. It's like, oh, yeah, oh, are you? I was like, yeah, I thought I'd, um, I thought I'd do a story about the, uh, the what you have to do. You seem like a nice fella, but just f- off. It's <laughs> 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 like, you don't want to talk about it then. He went, the amount of stress I'm having to go through dealing with this. No, just go. <laughs> Fantastic. So, so, yeah, there you go. Mon- mon- monkeys in Battersea. So the, I think I spoke to Ollie McCrudden relays this story, and it's absolutely hilarious because the, the bolt onto that is, and I'm sure you know, I think it's in the... Um, the book, the um, the book that I wrote, which is still available from all good um, all good bookshops, all good pulping stations. Back <laughs> um, back with Sam Smith. The <laughs> the end the end result of it was that they were they were get they getting them used to the the resonance of the the former E cars. Um, but what they didn't figure was that during the race weekend is that. Uh, <laughs> A helicopter buzzed the paddock, of course, yeah, and they all went absolutely ape ape shit to keep <laughs> to keep it to keep the analogy going, and sort of smashed up their own cages and did whatever monkeys do when they're bit. upset. Oh, yeah, yeah, oh, the, 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 the helicopter triggered them, and they all went mental and and started smashing the place up, which was just fantastic. So there you go. <laughs> Although we obviously we should caveat that with you know no no simians were uh, were affected psychologically in the uh, in the hood during the weekend do you have anything else to add to your plot line a bit we just keep it with monkeys in battersea we we i'd love to but yeah i mean the the in terms of the um where are we at most yeah plot line. well you're still doing plot line if you've got if you've got anything okay, to add so, so i mean honestly it's a hands-down winner I, i've never been involved in a story as bizarre and obscure as daniel apps <laughs> Mad oh God! Sim, sim racing exploits in 2020 during, during, the during the madness that was lockdown. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and it's kind of. I think people have almost forgotten. It's only a couple of years, well, three years ago or whatever. Probably good for you. Are you sure you want to remind anyone? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's just the most bizarre thing, and it's one of those things you look, you look at yourself, and you go, oh, did, oh, "Do I really have to? Um, <laughs> do I really have to report on this?" And I'm sure. 
Daniel and others drivers were thinking, should, you know, should I really be, you know, am I really interested in this? But they had to, and it just ended in absolute carnage. With, with for Daniel anyone who's forgotten, you explain exactly what happened because oh, it's very easy for the detail. No, you uh, don't. Oh, no, I, he, 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 he got a ringer in, he got busted, he got fired. Yeah, <laughs> yeah that was it. Three acts, the three acts of Daniel App's bizarre, uh, whatever it was he was doing. I don't think he knows himself, but it's actually quite hard to get your head around it even to this day. But despite it being quite actually quite sad because, you know, Daniel ended up losing his, his drive with Audi. And, um, you know, it's um, it wasn't funny at the time, but it certainly was memorable and just one of those... What WTF moments where you just go, what what has just happened? I mean, very strange. So the the shambolic uh, storyline I sort of alluded to a little bit earlier, and that's ahead of the first season we ran a couple of uh, dummy races in Donington, and uh, I, I, it's sort of been reported, but I'm not sure that the, the entirety of the story has ever fully been released. And I've got got time to do it now. But as you know, Sam. At the, at the finish of the race, Sabuemi, <laughs> or I think it'd either, yeah, he'd won it. If he hadn't won it, he was in the top three. Uh, mistook the bit in which he had to stop and uh, drive back down. He'd go at the end of the pit lane, where it was actually the service road a little bit further up. And he, so he whacked the anchors on in order to, to do this. And poor old Karun Chandok was running behind him, literally blindsided straight into him and, and effectively wrote the two chassis <laughs> off. There's this absolutely monster. Sh- I mean, Brady's lucky he wasn't hurt. I mean, he could have really been seriously injured. Um, and then we've got this picture because we, we were running everything as if it was a, mo- a mock event. So Tom Phillips is down in the paddock and I've got, and we're on the range because we need Brady on the podium now. We're, do- we're doing the mock photos. And of course, he's a little bit concerned <laughs> that his race chassis that's going to be freighted off to Beijing might have been total. So if you ever find the, the mock pictures that were done of the podium, he's got a right cob on. And I don't, <laughs> I can't remember whether we did a dummy press conference for that race or not. If we did, he didn't either didn't turn up or didn't say a word it was uh <laughs> and unsurprisingly really when you when you saw what had happened so that the other thing that's worth mentioning was the one lap that the truly powered motomatica did at the second fake donington race oh no it's just a test it wasn't a race uh which was it's something along the lines of 40 kilowatts and electrocuted Lutzi every time he touched the <laughs> throttle <laughs> and they 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 had to start it up via a forklift truck you know Yes. Yeah, God. yeah, God. yeah. I mean, on, honestly, what a what a shambles that was. Yeah, that was different yeah, level, different level. Yeah. So I've I've chosen one main one, and then given honourable mentions to a couple of other oddities. Um, this is a good one. I I was kind of spoiled for choice, but the one that I remember and and have to protect those involved still to this day. I know that's going against the the the, the remit of this, but um, I have to. Um, it was that I informed a driver that he was about to be replaced in a team uh, inadvertently um oh i did that once yeah uh, <laughs> that there were then several <laughs> twists the final one of which was that the driver who had agreed to take the seat was then spirited away to another team it, it, ah, so i know what the incident you're talking about okay. yes so it got to the point <laughs> where the team had got overalls and graphics and everything done for this guy and then literally the day before um I think the day before they were leaving for the race, it swung around and the incumbent driver stayed. But suffice to say, he wasn't a happy bunny. Um, there was also uh, there was also an incident where a car recovery vehicle took down part of a bridge in Buenos Aires. 
um, which generally isn't known. I don't know if you, you, yeah. you remember that. And, and I believe yeah, yeah. also a car was dropped from a um, from a snatch vehicle as well, which um, was at the same event. So that was a bit uh, fraught. So well, the recovery vehicle thing was going on around the same time as the what was the self driving thing called? Uh, I'd literally just gone. Oh, the robo robo race. Just as robo race had plied itself <laughs> head on into the first corner, and then there's some some recovery vehicle was bringing down a gantry, and it was just it was just shambles all around. Yeah, scorched earth. I mean, amazing <laughs> stuff, really. When you think about it, I uh, you know. Um, I was, uh, what's the other one I was going to mention? Yeah, the, the Buenos Aires debacle. Um, no, then there was when um, a gag got attacked at a disco by, by some loony, oh, yeah. some loony with glasses. Yeah. Uh, who I glassed don't think that's very funny. Yeah. No, it wasn't, but um, it's it's kind of in the spirit of this mayhem. Um, there's also been a driver, and again, name withheld, involved in, um, in a spot of fisticuffs uh, the night after a race, which I, I got the, I saw the back end of, um, which was, quite amusing um and and he saw me and it was kind of did a zip motion to his to his mouth um and and it's the most unlikely driver you'd ever imagine to get into a a physical altercation let's say but but my lips are sealed forever as as the driver requested on that one yeah i've got some guesses on that one but um yeah they won't be right well no. <laughs> well, hopefully that's uh, put you all in the uh, the mood for, for Christmas. Uh, we'll be back in the new year with a slightly changed format, I think. Um, maybe some news on that ahead of the uh, that first race in Mexico. But uh, thank you for joining us and um, listening to our reminiscences about uh, the premier electric Mason formula in the world. And let's not always forget that. I know we occasionally have a little dig, but it's only because we love it. So, uh, yeah, don't forget to check out our other um, podcasts um, from the world of Formula One, MotoGP and IndyCar. And, uh, yeah, put your feet up and, uh, and enjoy the break. Thank you and goodbye. The Athletic. As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager.